This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. James chapter 3 here tonight. We're going to be uh, camped out in James 3 for a minute. And so I just want to give you a heads up here uh, because there's just so much good stuff in the book of James chapter number 3. Dealing with bridling the tongue is where we're going to be at tonight. Uh, James has so much to say about the words that we use, the way that we talk, our conversations that we have with other people, and really kind of the uh, either life-giving properties of the words that we use or the life-sucking properties. Uh, He he compares the tongue to a fire that can burn out of control if we're not not careful. And so he gives us some guidelines on how to deal with that. We'll take a look at that tonight. Uh, James chapter 3, we're going to start in verse number 1. We're going to read down through verse number 12, but we'll we'll really uh, uh, get through probably verse number uh, 3 or 4 here tonight uh, as, as we look through this passage of Scripture. But we'll read through verse number 12 because it's all good. James chapter 3, verse number 1, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we will, shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Now, stop for just a moment and, and realize that many times when the Bible uses that word perfect, it doesn't mean without sin or as we think of as being perfect, but it means mature or complete. And so uh, one of the, the marks of maturity and being a complete uh, person is being able to uh, bridle the tongue. Verse 3, behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships which they be great are driven by fierce winds yet are turned about with a very small helm whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity so the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell for every kind of beasts and birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed by of mankind but the tongue can no man tame it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison therewith we bless god even the father therewith we curse men which are made after the similitude of god out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing my brethren these things ought not so to be doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter can the fig tree my brethren bear olive berries either vine figs so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh james uh, has a lot to say about the words that we use in our tongue uh, james uh, was sharing with these new christians because uh, james would have been writing to christians who had been a who had been following Jesus for a very short period of time, and he challenges with them to be very, very careful with the words that they use. Many times we uh, often say things often without thinking. They just come off the top of our head and we say things, but we sometimes forget the lasting effect of the words that we use. Every single person in this room that is old enough to have been around for a little while 
Someone in your life has said something to you once upon a time, and those words you have never forgotten as long as you've lived. Whether it was somebody making fun of you. Uh, I remember my wife, uh, when we had uh, first started dating, uh, she began to talk about the things that she liked about me, and she said, one of the things that I like about you is that you shave your neck. I thought, that's such a strange thing to say. And she said, uh, I just think it's neat, you know, like you're, you keep, t- take care of yourself and you uh, shave your neck and you, you groom yourself well. I thought, man, thank you for that. But what my wife didn't know is that when I was in seventh or eighth grade, I was hanging out with uh, uh, some guys and there was a girl that I liked that I was interested in. And uh, there was another guy that I was there, his name was Jeremy. I'll, I'll never forget it as long as I live. And he said to me, you look like a werewolf with all that hair on the back of your neck. That's disgusting. And the girl that I liked was sitting there, heard it, and she started laughing. I never forgot that. And you know what I did? I went home and I started shaving my neck, and I shaved my neck every single day of my life. Why? Because one time, somebody said something that embarrassed me to such a degree, I'll never be embarrassed like that again. And you think to yourself, well, how old were you? I was probably 12 or 13 years old. Like, seriously. And to this day, I remember where we were standing when he said that, and I remember the girl and the look on her face of shock and then her laughing uncontrollably. I thought to myself, never again. And you think to yourself, like, oh, kids are mean. (laughs) Grown-ups are mean. And all of us have had someone say something to us that has had a long-lasting effect. And you go, yeah, they have. That's terrible. But hold on for just a second before we begin to point the finger at those people who have hurt us with their words. Most of us have said words that we wish had a fishing line attached to it so that we could pull them back after we said it. All of us have said words that were hurtful to someone or unkind to someone that had damaging, lasting effects on people. And so what do we do with that? Well, we can't take those words back. Uh, Once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you can't put it back in, can you? By the same token, once our words are out there, we can't pull those words back. We can apologize. We can try to do better, but we can't get them back. And so James tells us, hey, how about instead of wishing you hadn't said that, you just don't say it at all. How about you realize that your words have a lasting effect on every single person that hears them? How about you treat your tongue the same way that we treat animals? We put them under control. We try to tame them. We try to point them the right direction. And so James gives us some guidelines on how we can do that in James chapter 3 here. First of all, we need to understand before we get to talking about the tongue, about changing our heart because Jesus tells us that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and the words that come out of our mouth are actually just showing us what's going on in our heart and so really if you want to change the words that you say whether they be helpful or hurtful words the best thing in the world that you can do is start by changing your heart you see salvation happens the moment that we exhibit faith in Jesus and repentance for our sins this is the most important thing that you'll hear in your lifetime and so listen up for just a moment all of us are sinners at heart every single one of us has broken God's law God has rules and guidelines on how to live our life and we've broken it every opportunity that we get our words are corrupt because our hearts are corrupt and so Jesus gives us the opportunity to change our hearts Jesus gives us the opportunity to make things right with God because the Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God 
and when we die on this earth is coming for us God's judgment. And because we've broken God's law, every single one of us in this room deserves to go to hell. That's God's rules. That's God's consequences. But God sent Jesus to die in our place. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died for me. I was supposed to be punished, but Jesus was punished for me. And every single person that would put their faith in Jesus, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died for my sins. I believe He is the only way to heaven, faith and then repent of our sins. I am so sorry that I've broken God's law and I need God's forgiveness. That is salvation. That's being saved. That's being born again. And if you don't have that time, date, place in your life, you need to get it tonight. If you don't know for sure that you're saved or born again, be saved or born again tonight. It's not a matter of joining our church or becoming a Baptist or going through a religious process or getting baptized or taking communion or any of those things. It's about believing in Jesus as your Savior and asking for forgiveness of your sins. And when that happens, about a dozen different things go off in your heart, in your spirit, in your life, in heaven. I mean, it's a, a crazy, the chain reaction that takes place the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Not only is your sin, debt, and all the wrong you've ever done wiped away and forgiven as if it had never happened, not only does God open the book of life in heaven, which if you want to think of it this way is the reservation book for heaven, and you don't get in without a reservation, and your name gets written down in the book of life as being forgiven by God. When you get to heaven, your name's in the book, you get to automatically go in. Not only does all that happen, but inside of you, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit comes and takes residence in your life. And the Bible says He begins to make you new. And the old person is passed away, the Bible says. The old man is dead. And the new you begins to be born in the image of Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Because God's Spirit is now inside of you. Now it's not a matter of I'm white-knuckling trying to not say things that I shouldn't say or I'm white-knuckling to try to stay away from sin or I'm trying to behave myself and be really good. Now God's Spirit is inside of me and it gives me a power that I didn't have access to before. It gives me the ability to say no to sin and say yes to righteousness that I've never had before because inside of me is the Spirit of God. That process of saying no to sin and yes to God's rules or righteousness is called sanctification. And sanctification, while salvation happens the moment that you put your faith and trust in Christ, sanctification takes some time. This process of being more like Jesus and saying no to sin and being changed from the inside out by the Spirit of God, that takes some time. But sanctification continues throughout our entire life, and it's a result of obeying the Word of God, the Bible, and yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. Once you become a child of God and the Holy Spirit's inside of you, and you begin to sin, the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, that's not right. And the Holy Spirit works in conjunction with your spirit and your conscience to make a part of you alive that wasn't alive before. When, when people accept Christ as Savior, they come back in like a week and say, like, hey, everything in my life's different. Now when I do wrong, I feel bad about it. Now when I do things that I shouldn't, I feel terrible about it. Good. That's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. 
That's evidence that God is working in you in a way that he never was before, that God is in you in a way that he never was before. And that sanctification is a lifelong process. I accepted Jesus when I was nine years old. That's when I was born again. But I didn't start the process of becoming like Jesus until I was probably in my early 20s. But I've got two plus decades of sanctification under my belt. And by the grace of God, I'm going to be at it the rest of my life. Trying to be more like Jesus. Obeying the Bible. Obeying the Holy Spirit of God. And you'll find that the more you become like Christ, the less you'll become like the rest of the world. That you should be distinctly different. That people should see something in you that they don't see in other people. Because you're more like Jesus, which makes you less than the world. And one of the things that gets affected by that is your speech. You see, visible Christian growth is not optional. It's expected. It's not, it should not be, let me say that. It should not be an anomaly when we see a Christian change and we're like, wow, I've seen so much change in that. That's so strange. No, that's expected. That's the way that it should be. I look around this, this room here tonight, and I think of people who have accepted Christ as Savior and grown in their faith uh, while they've been here at Huicala, and people who came here maybe as marginally committed Christians, but now are, are dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore followers of Jesus Christ. And I look at that, and I say, praise God for that. But let's not say, like, wow, that's so strange that that happened. No, that's how Christianity is supposed to happen. You see, it should be an anomaly that somebody follows Jesus and nothing in their life changes. That should be like, is, is he really a follower of Jesus? Because nothing changed in his life. Because here's the fact of the matter. Healthy things grow. If something's healthy, it's automatically going to grow. That's not an optional thing. That's a requirement. I remember our, our son Vanderlei, when he was born, he was uh, born at 10 and a half pounds and almost 24 inches long. Big boy. You know, my wife gave birth to that, and I'm, to that. Uh, <laughs> and I'm looking at it, all, all that was wadded up inside you, your stomach, and she's like, yeah, I've been telling you for the last two months, I can't breathe. <laughs> well, that explains a lot right there, right? And, and we take him to his, his follow-up appointments at the one week and two week and, and, and 30 days and, and 60 days and all the appointments. And they got the, the chart, you know, that shows where you're supposed to be at and the percentile chart. He was always off the chart in his growth, always. Like they, they would have to draw another line above the chart because he was over the 100th percentile for size for his age. Big boy. Now, it would be strange if he's now 19 years old and he still weighs 12 pounds, and he's 28 inches long now. He'd be like, what happened? Why? Because healthy things grow. If you don't see growth, that means that there's something wrong somewhere. And so we, that's true in the life of a physical human being, but that's also true in the life of a spiritual being. For example, Christians. If someone has been saved for five, ten years and there's no growth in their life, something's not right somewhere. We need to investigate. Look, if you've been following Jesus for 12 months and you haven't seen growth in your life, you should do a checkup and find out what's wrong because healthy things grow. You should be able to point to areas in your life where you've grown in sanctification and grown in Christ-likeness. 
some things that you, you see that you used to say that you don't say anymore, some things you used to do that you don't do anymore because Jesus changed you from the inside out. I cringe to think of some of the things that I used to say or beliefs that I used to espouse or causes that I used to champion. I look back at that and I go, wow, I'm super embarrassed that that was me. I'm thankful that social media was not around when I was in high school. Let me just say that. Because I would be ultra embarrassed by the things that 15, 16-year-old me would have said on the internet thinking it was cool. Terrible idea. And so, again, I don't think that anybody under the age of 18 should have access to social media. That's just me. And you can say, oh, he's an old fuddy-duddy preacher. I just think, I think it's wise. Because, again, these kids' brains are not fully formed yet. Uh, and the ability to say things that will follow them for the rest of their lives. I mean, for every Olympic athlete, just know they're, they're crawling through their Twitter feeds trying to find something stupid or racist that they said. For every person who uh, gets elected into office, they're, they're crawling through their social media trying to find one nugget somewhere that will get them off track. That's the world that we live in. And look, I think it's unwise to give a child access to things like that. It's not wise. Oh, can you prove that from the Bible? I can't, but I can prove that it's not wise from the Bible. I guarantee you that. But healthy things grow. And you should be growing in your Christ-likeness. And if you're not growing, you should say, why am I not growing? And the Holy Spirit change in the life of a Christian begins on the inside and then manifests itself outwardly. Please understand this. Change always takes place inside first. Always. 100% of the time. Look, I can get myself an orange gown, shave my head, and go to the airport and hand out flowers. Does that make me a Buddhist or a Hare Krishna or whatever they're called? Does that, no, why? Because all I did was change the outside. That doesn't change who I am on the inside. Anybody can change the outside. You can come here in here next week, guys, and get yourself a, a suit at Men's Warehouse and wear a tie, and you can even put a pocket square in it. And you can have a hanky in your back pocket, and every time I say something good, you can pull it out and you can wave it in the air like that. Right? Some of you should probably do that. That'd be fun. That would be a lot of fun. You can get yourself the biggest Bible that they have at the Christian bookstore, and you can carry it across your chest. But that didn't change anything that's going on on the inside. That's just an outward facade. And the Bible has, get this, this is how great the Bible is. I love the Bible. The Bible has a word for someone who changes the outside, but everything on the inside is still the same or opposite. Anybody want to know what that word is? Anybody help me with that? Hypocrisy. Hypocrite. Jesus said to the religious leaders of the day, you bunch of hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. And Jesus says, I'm not impressed. And so, again, we can change things on the outside, but that's not where real change takes place. Real change takes place on the inside first. Now, are there some outward things that we can start doing right away that will help us to become more like Jesus? For sure. Stop listening to garbage music. Stop watching garbage television shows. Stop watching garbage movies. Start, stop hanging around with gutter-mouthed, gutter-minded people. 
that's just a good start, right? And you say, well, I, I'm not ready to change yet. Cut out those things and your heart will begin to automatically change. That's just how it goes. And so are there some things we should do on the outside first? Sure. But really what we're doing is we're not making outward change. We're changing what comes into our heart. The music that leads me closer to this world and away from Jesus, it gets cut off from my heart. Now my heart isn't influenced that way anymore. Television shows that I watch where adultery and fornication and pornography are just part and parcel of the storyline of the show. When I cut that off, I'm just cutting off the influence that that has to my heart. And I want my heart to begin to change, to be more like Jesus. And that takes time. But it always starts on the inside first. Attempts to change without the Holy Spirit simply result in behavior modification. Hey, look, Pavlov and his dogs figured out you can modify someone's behavior with something as simple as a bell. You can get people to do things that they don't want to do. You can get people to change things that they don't want to change. Psychology does this all the time. If you want to exercise more, you should sleep in your workout clothes. So that when your alarm goes off in the morning, it's one less thing that you have to change in the morning. So sleep in your workout clothes, so when you wake up, you think, oh, I've got to go work out. And you'll put on your running shoes and go out for a run. And put your running shoes by the door so that you don't have to look for them around the house and have one more excuse to not go out. Already have your phone and your headphones laid out with your playlist queued up so that you, you're cutting down all the obstacles to keep you from going out for that morning run to be more healthy. That's behavior modification. But when you change on the inside, everything else falls in line. I want to be a healthier person so that I can be around to see my kids graduate high school and get married. I'm 44 years old. I have a four-year-old daughter. By the time she graduates high school, I'm going to be almost 60 years old. I already look like a grandpa. Can you imagine what I look like then? Like, oh, is that your grandpa? No, that's my mom and dad. And I don't want to be hunched over walking up the steps trying to give her a hug and try to put my arms around. No, I want to be healthy. You know why? Because I want to live my life in a way that glorifies my Savior. That changes me from the inside. So what does that mean? That means I can say no to a piece of cake this week because I'm trying to live a long life so that I glorify God and be with my family. You see what I'm saying here? Stephen Covey, who is not a Christian, who is a Mormon, said some really good stuff, though, that were biblical principles. One of the things he says is it's easier to say no when there's a deeper yes burning inside. And that statement means this. Change takes place on the inside first and then goes to the outside. When it comes to the words that we say, if you've got a problem with anger, count to 10 before you say something. <laughs> All that does is give me a 10-minute delay to say something really hurtful. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one. Bah! It doesn't change anything. You know why? Because it's just behavior modification. But when the Spirit of God takes over my life and takes over my heart, and I begin to think, would Jesus say the words I'm getting ready to say? Would what I'm getting ready to say build up the person that's going to hear it, or will it tear them down? Is what I'm about to say, will it be helpful to this person or will it be hurtful? Because I don't want to be hurtful. I want to love and encourage and I want to be one that builds up people, not tears down people. Look, 
any knucklehead with a social media account and an anonymous email address can tear somebody down. I want to be the guy that builds people up. But that means I've got to think about the words that come out of my mouth first. That requires change on the inside before it happens on the outside. But that change is only going to come about as the Holy Spirit works inside of me. The crowning achievement of self-control, according to James, is the ability to control what one says. You want to know how much self-control you have? Your words will tell the story for you. Oh, that can't be true. That's what James says. And James is speaking on behalf of God through the Holy Spirit. Take a look at James chapter 3, verse number 2. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, if any man doesn't hurt someone or sin with the words that he uses, the same is a perfect or mature man and able to bridle the whole body. Man, if you can control your words, you are like top shelf, top notch, mature follower of Jesus. You know why? Because it's so easy to pop off with something hurtful, something to just make yourself feel better, something to just, I just got something I need to get off my chest. Anybody can do that. That's really easy to do. But James says here, if you want to check whether or not you're truly a mature follower of Christ, your words will determine that. Because if you can control the words that come out of your mouth, you can control everything. That's easy. You see, the mark of Christian maturity is to control the tongue. Psalm 39, verse number 1 says, I said... I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I'll keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. Hey, even people that are against me, that are not for me, that are going the opposite direction I am, I'm even going to keep my mouth shut when they're around. That's a mark of maturity, isn't it? Somebody needs to take that guy down a notch. Probably so, but it's not you. Oh, somebody needs to give that person a piece of their mind. Probably so, but you can't afford to give away any more of your mind. right? So again, please understand this. You don't always have to be the one with the last word. You don't always have to be the one to set things straight. Because sometimes to set things straight or to have the last word will cause you to compromise your Christian testimony. And James is saying, not worth it. If you consider yourself a mature Christian, then you can control the words that come out of your mouth. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. You want to love life and enjoy your life? Everybody wants to do that, right? What does Peter tell us to do? Refrain your tongue from evil. Just back off of the things that you shouldn't say. Now James will get into a little bit later what those types of things look at. We'll probably look at that uh, next uh, week after next. But... Peter and James and David here, all three agree, keeping your tongue will help your life be better. Guaranteed. But control of the tongue requires a sanctified and submitted heart. I have to say that the Holy Spirit is changing my heart. My heart is submitted to what God wants me to say. 
And I'm carefully examining the words that come out of my mouth before they, they come out as to whether or not this is something I should say. Constantly. You say, are you saying you've got to think about every word that comes out of your mouth? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, we talked about at the beginning of this message here tonight that all of us have said things. I have said things that as I hear them coming out of my mouth, I wish I could stop. Have you ever been there before? Like, I, 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 what I'm saying I should not be saying, and I should probably stop, but I just need to get this out, and it'll all be over with. But you know, as you're saying it, I should not be saying this. Why? Because you're exposing what's in your heart, and so you need to stop for a second and say, is this something that I really want to say? Is this something that's going to be helpful? Is this something that's going to honor the Lord? Is this something that's going to help me to be a better Christian? Is this something that's going to help another person to be a better Christian? How can I say this with grace and tact and kindness? I'm so thankful for people who seek wise, godly counsel. Oftentimes I'll have people call me and say, hey, I had this situation come up with a coworker that I'm not sure how to handle. I want to make sure I say the right thing. What should I say? I love that. You know what that is? That's someone seeking wisdom. I love it when parents call me and say, hey, my kid did X, Y, and Z. I need to sit him down and have a conversation with him. How should I talk through that with them? What does that look like from your perspective? What would be a wise way to handle that? Hey, my wife and I don't see eye to eye on this situation. Before I give her an answer, I want to make sure that I know what the right thing to say is. And look, there have been times before where people have sent me an email asking a question. And I'll say, hey, if you could give me like a, a three or four days to think through that and pray through that and get back to you, that would be great. And say, you take three or four days to pray and think about what you need to say? Sometimes I do. And then sometimes I'm just stupid and I pop off with the first thing off the top of my head. And sometimes it's hurtful. Sometimes it's unkind. Sometimes it's cutting. I don't know about you guys, but uh, sometimes I think I'm really funny. <laughs> and I've got a, a funny little witty thing to say there right quick, right? But oftentimes, if you're on the receiving end of my funny witty jokes that I have, they're generally not very funny and witty to you. Kind of hurtful, isn't it? And so oftentimes, I'll say things as a joke sometimes and then have to go back to somebody and apologize and repent. Hey, what I said wasn't kind. I was just trying to be funny and I, I shouldn't have said that. It was, that was hurtful, I know it was. Oh, no, it's fine, don't worry about it. No, it's not fine and that's why I'm telling you I'm apologizing to you and I'm asking you to forgive me. Why? Because I didn't think about what I was saying. I was trying to be funny or I was trying to lighten the situation. And say something without thinking. We can't afford to do that because what comes out of our heart sometimes isn't the right thing to say right away. And so 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. And here's what Peter says. If you've gone through our discipleship program, you know this verse. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He's saying, hey, be careful with the words that you say and make sure that you're getting your regular dose of the Bible in so that you can grow because you're just a baby. You know what Peter's actually saying here? He's saying, hey, if you use your words in an in, uh, ungodly way, you're really a baby that just needs to grow up. And so a lack of self-control of the tongue exposes a corrupt and carnal heart. Have you ever heard somebody say, 
lot of us don't have a filter. I just call it like I see it. What you see is what you get. I'm just going to tell you how it is because like, I don't have a filter from the brain to the mouth. I've heard, peop- I've heard Christians say that before, and they're like proud of it. Like, I'm just a straight shooter. I just tell it like it is. No, you're an idiot is what you are. And you just admitted to everybody that you're an idiot. You said, well, pastor, that's not nice. That could hurt somebody's feeling to call them an idiot. Okay, I'll call you a Bible word. You're a fool. You know what the Bible says about somebody like that? A fool uttereth all of his mind. A fool has to tell you what's on their mind all the time. A fool is one that can't bridle their own tongue. Because if, if bridling your tongue and controlling your tongue is being mature and wise, then not controlling your tongue is being immature and foolish. And, and no lie, I'm not trying to be funny. Many times when the Bible uses the word foolish, you could actually switch that out with the word idiot. Fools, you idiots. Like someone who just cannot seek after wisdom, follow after wisdom, follow the right thing. And so when we just pop off and say the first thing that comes to mind, you're only showing your immaturity. And when, for heaven's sakes, when a Christian says, well, I just got no filter, I call them like I see them. The only thing that you're admitting is that you are an immature fool. That's it. That's not a badge of honor. No, being transparent, being genuine, being authentic, those are good things. Saying what's on your mind all the time without considering other people just goes to show that you are inconsiderate and immature. And that comes out of a carnal heart, not a sanctified heart. A sanctified heart doesn't want to just pop off and say everything that's on their mind and say everything that's on their heart. A sanctified heart stops and thinks, how will this impact the people that hear it? Are you saying I'm supposed to sit and think about how people feel about the words that I say? Absolutely. The Bible says that we should use our words for the edification or building up of other people. And I need to think, is this word I'm going to say, is this going to build this person up before I say it? And look, this goes when we have to discipline our children. I need to make sure that I'm not just constantly tearing my kids down. That I'm constantly... Clean up your room. Pick this up. Pick that up. You can't do anything right. Why didn't you get your homework done? What are these grades? This is terrible. What's happening? I'm so frustrated with you. A steady diet of that causes a very frustrated and a very angry child. I can tell you that guaranteed. Hey, sweetheart, I saw that you didn't get your homework done. Talk to me about why that happened. You see, I feel like it's really easy for you to spend time on the internet and YouTube and watching videos and hanging out. Difficult for you to get your homework done. Talk to me about why that is. Okay, that's helpful. Well, let's figure out a plan moving forward. Hey, I noticed your mom asked you to do this and you didn't do it. Can you tell me why you didn't do that? That would be helpful for me as your dad to help you to get kind of back on track. Hey, I'm not here to tear you down. I'm here to build you up. And hey, if I have to correct my child, I'm going to find out things that they're doing that they're doing well hey, you're really good in this area, but you could use some help over here. Let's, let's fix this over here. And that goes with our, our marital relationships as well. If I'm constantly telling my wife the 10 things that are wrong with her, it's going to make for a, a pretty rocky marriage. But if I can tell her, hey, there's some, some areas that I want to grow in, there's some areas that I want you to grow in, and maybe we can work together to help each other be better. And if you could make me a list of five things that I could do to be a better husband, I'd like to make you a list of two things that you could do to be a better wife. We can help each other grow together. 
as opposed to, yeah, I got a laundry list of things you could work on. <laughs> that doesn't help anybody at all. And again, that just shows immaturity and carnality. And, and you know what is so interesting to me is the majority of Christians that I talk to about problems in their marriage, one of the primary things that they will say is, does anybody want to help? Communication. Well, we just don't seem to talk well. Okay, talk me through that. And generally what happens is there's legitimate grievances that need to be worked on, but they can't because everybody gets upset and been out of shape about it. And sometimes you know, the, the best times that I have when I'm counseling married couples is just to sit and let them talk. Because they can't sit with a cool head at home and talk through their problems. They yell, they scream, they slam doors, they throw stuff, they get mad, they pitch fits, and they come and sit down with the pastor and they can't do all that because <laughs> most of the time because of pride, right? Hey, whatever, I'll take it. If it's going to cause you to sit down and work through your problems, communication is key. But when we use our words to hurt, to cut down, to damage, it only shows immaturity and carnality in our own hearts. And let me help you with this. If you're married and you're hurting your spouse with your words, please understand you're only hurting yourself. The Bible says the day that you guys got married, you were one flesh. And if you want to say something to hurt your spouse, you might as well take a sledgehammer to your big toe. It'd be the exact same thing. And let me just tell you, the sledgehammer to the big toe is probably going to heal in a couple of months but the words that you say might never heal. Think about that for a second. No lie. I would rather my wife punch me in the face than to say something hurtful. Because I'll get over a punch to the face. I'm, I'm a big dude. I can handle that. But words, they cut deep, don't they? They're hurtful. And so we need to be really, really, really careful with the words that we use because they have a lasting effect and to control the tongue also means to control the heart and to control the mind. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse number 45, out of a heart of good treasure, a man brings forth good fruit. Out of a heart of bad treasure, a man brings forth bad fruit. That really the indication whether or not the words that come out of my mouth are good or bad is determined what's taking place first here in my heart and my mind. And you show me somebody that has no control over, over their words, I'll tell you they have no control over their heart or their mind. That's why i got to be really careful with the things that come in my eyes and the things that come in my ears because that automatically goes to my heart. i to be really careful with that. Because again, I, I've played the game of listening to political podcasts and political news and stuff like that, and I found out I just got really angry about all the injustices in the political system in America. Why? Because that's what I fed my heart. But I also find that when I spend my commute listening to praise music and worship music, that I'm sitting in traffic, and I don't care that I'm sitting in traffic because I'm praising God with every fiber of my being, singing my guts out, and the people in the next car probably think I'm nutso. Don't even care. You know why? Because what's taking place in my heart, i got to let it out or I'm probably going to explode because God is so good. He's the desire of my heart. He's everything to me, and there's no good thing that I have in this life that Jesus didn't give me, and my heart is overflowing with worship and praise. 
and look, I got to get it out. And so I'll crank up the tunes to 11 and get it out. Why? Because that's what's taking place in my heart. But at the same time, I've been here, and maybe you have as well, that you come to church and you don't really want to sing. And maybe there's like, we're going to sing one more song, and you're just like, oh, heavens, one more song. Can I just sit down? Can I just sit down? I'm not even going to sing. I'm just going to mouth the words. I'm not even going to, I'm tired of just mouthing the words. I'm just going to go to the bathroom and wait till it's over. I've done that before. You know why? Because something in my heart wasn't right. And so that's why, again, if you're going to control the things that come out of your mouth, it requires you to control your heart and mind first and foremost. That's why the Bible tells us, keep your heart or protect your heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. And here's what James says as well. This is a crazy thought. The, the tongue sets the direction for our lives. Take a look at verses 3 and 4. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us and turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be great, are driven of fierce winds, yet they're turned about with a very small hem, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Hey, just like bits in a horse's mouth allow this us to turn them in the direction that we want to go just like the rudder on a ship though the rudder's small in size relation to the rest of the ship it's able to turn a ship where it needs to go so your tongue is able to turn your life the direction it should go now please understand i want to be ridiculous clear with you tonight i'm not talking about manifesting things that you want i'm not talking about name it and claim it i'm not talking about i say that i am rich and i'm going to be rich i say that i am well and i'm going to be well i say that i'm smart and i'm going to be smart i say that i'm good looking and i know that i'm already good looking but thank you thank you i'm not talking about that garbage that is nonsense. That's new age garbage. That's not Christianity. But I am talking about whatever's taking place in your heart will manifest itself in the words that you speak, which determines the direction of your life. If you are a chronic complainer that everything in your life is terrible and nothing is ever good enough and good things never happen to you, they always happen to somebody else, just know that's the direction that your life will go because that's the direction you set for your heart. Now again, it's not a matter of, of what you're saying is going to end up becoming true. It's a matter of the words that you're speaking are already determining what direction your heart is pointed But if my heart is pointed towards the goodness of, and glory of God... I'm going to see that come out in the words that I say. God's good. He's faithful. He's always been faithful. I don't know what's going on right now, but I know that God does, and I can trust Him. I'm not sure why this is happening to me, but I know that God does, and He's always been good to me, and He's never going to let me down this time either. Why? What am I doing? I'm allowing my tongue to set the direction for my life. I choose a life of faith, therefore I need to choose a vocabulary of faith. Does that make sense to anybody? Now, again, we run a fine line, if you misunderstand this, to think that I'm saying whatever you say will come to be. You see, this is the opposite of that. What's already taking place in your heart and your life are coming out in your words automatically anyways. And so if you determine the direction of your heart, your words will follow your heart. You see, the, the, the false view of that 
name it and claim it, prosperity, false gospel, says if you say the words, then God's going to have to make it happen. I claim that new BMW in the name of Jesus. And I'm just going to get the keys in the mail one day, I guess, because I'm going to keep claiming it every day. That's garbage, and God is not an idolater or an idol giver. And so that goes against the whole character of who God is. I'm talking about what is in your heart will come out in the words that you speak. And if you have a heart pointed towards God, your words will be God-focused. That's it. So, If you want to figure out the words that you say, whether they're good or bad, all you got to do is look inside your heart. And let me just tell you, I've often found that when people say ugly, angry, hurtful words, it's generally because they're hurting somewhere themselves. Have you ever noticed that? People that are going through some stuff, that have been hurt, that have been damaged, they'll say mean, ugly, hurtful things. You know why? Because they're hurting on the inside. And that just gives you a little window inside their heart. Look, anybody that loves Jesus and is thankful for the grace of God doesn't have time to be angry, ugly, and condescending. They just don't. And so the words that we use will be evidence of what's taking place in our heart. So, so many times, again, people try to clean up their speech. I want to try to stop cursing. I'm going to get a cuss jar and put it on the, the counter. Every time I say a cuss word, I'm going to put a quarter in it. Okay. I got a better idea. Take a look, look at what's going on in your heart and find out why you say those words to begin with. Take a look at what you're putting inside your heart that causes those words to come back out of your mouth. Look, again, I spent the last two decades of my life trying to cut out everything in my life that's negative and keeps me from following Jesus and, and keeps me from, from my heart from being in the right place. I want to protect my heart just the way the Bible says. I spent probably the last two decades trying to do that. That when someone uses a four-letter word around me, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Like, I just want to, like, pull my hair out and, like, plug my ears and just, like, run away screaming. Like, it's like, ah, oh, I, I can't hear that. Why? Because I've taken my entire life and tried to cut those things out. Now, I realize some of you work in an environment where that's just the norm. Again, I was in the Navy for six years. I understand the term cuss like a sailor. Well, they came by it rightly, guaranteed. I'm talking about the things that you can control. You might not be able to control the way somebody else talks, but you can control the things you listen to. You can control the things that you see. And you can change the things that come into your heart. So be really, really careful with that. But here's the thing, none of that matters at all if your heart is still carnal, if you don't have Jesus. If you've never been saved or born again, you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you and you couldn't change if you wanted to, not any lasting change that would matter. You're just doing that whole behavior modification thing. And it might work for you. But you really want real change. You want to be a better person than you are. And that requires the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. To not be a better person like, oh, I want to lose 15 pounds this year and open my own business. Not that kind of better person. I want to be, live a life that points people to Christ, that makes God look good, that when I stand before God one day, he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm proud of you, son. Welcome home. That's the kind of life I want to live. 
But that requires my, my heart is right first. And so I want to encourage you, if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved, don't leave here tonight without putting your faith and trust in Christ as Savior. But for those of us that are Christians, and the majority of the people in the room, I know your story of how you put your faith in Christ. Let's stop looking at, oh, I need to stop saying these particular words that are on a list that somebody said. And I need to look deep inside my heart and say, what is broken inside of me that I use hurtful words? Why am I so angry with my spouse? And here's what I found. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I have no training as a professional counselor or anything like this. But what I have often found is when people you are short and ugly with their spouse, it's generally because they have some lingering hurt, anger, and bitterness in their heart that just hasn't worked itself out yet. And so then the question is not now like, how can I be nicer to my spouse? The question is, why would I want to be ugly to my spouse to begin with? It's not a matter of like, why do my kids get on my last nerves and cause me to have to raise my voice? It's a matter of like, what's broken inside of me that I feel like anger is the only choice for my children? What, what's wrong with me? And how can the Holy Spirit of God change me to be more patient and kind and understanding like Jesus? And again, you can make excuses for all of your shortcomings, but at the end of the day, they're just shortcomings. And according to the Bible, shortcomings are always sin. For me, I, I used to like to use the Bible to try to justify my terrible behavior. My wife would say things like, oh, you shouldn't get so angry. You shouldn't get so frustrated. You shouldn't be so quick to, to, to get upset about stuff. Huh. You know what Jesus did when he went in the temple? <laughs> he started flipping over tables and got whips and ran people out. I'm just trying to be like Jesus, baby. Mm. That doesn't fit. That's not the story, Right? That's not how things happen. Being like Jesus would be, like the Bible says, he was reviled and he reviled not again. And when he went before Pilate, and Pilate says, they say that you're the king of the Jews, what do you say? He goes, I don't know, you said it, not me. I'm, I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to argue with you. I want to be compassionate with my words. I want to be kind. I want to build up. I want to help, not tear down. And so... I want to encourage you to be that type of Christian this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.